All right, Second Timothy chapter one. I've got a handful. I got three kind of three points today. We're going to walk through, but we'll do some background on the book of Second Timothy. But let's go ahead and read uh, the the section. I'll give some background on the book itself, and then we'll dive into our three points uh, this morning. All right, Second Timothy chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank, I, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the, the amazing work that you're doing in each and every one of us. God, thank you that you went to the cross uh, to, to die the death that we deserve. God, thank you that you became a man and that you walked the earth, that you lived the life that we couldn't live. And God, we thank you that you did not just stay in the grave, but Lord, you rose again so that we could have life, and we could have life to the full. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us today through your word, God, that we would be able to see, um, our, that you would show us our sin, that we'd be able to see what, 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 where we are not trusting you. God, I pray that you would draw us to repentance, that we wouldn't feel shame and guilt, um, around the things that are going wrong in our lives, but Lord, I pray that you would help us run boldly and confidently to the throne of grace, Lord, because of the work that you've done for us. God, soften our hearts, allow us to be able to see uh, you in the text today, and help us walk away today, Lord, knowing and loving you better than we ever have. Uh, We ask these things in your beautiful name, amen. All right, so let's go and jump in some of the background on the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, So, Paul wrote this letter um, from prison in Rome. This is the last letter that Paul wrote uh, before his death. And so, and you can see this, he mentions that several people have abandoned him during this difficult time and several, several are, are away uh, doing other things. So in this time when Paul is sitting in prison, sort of awaiting um, his execution, uh, he is, he's, rec- he's reminded and he's rec- recollecting um, the sincerity and the devotion of Timothy. Uh, he's, he leans into that, we can see obviously on the front half of this letter, where he's anticipating his death, so he's reflecting back on his life, and he's, he's giving thanks to the Lord for the work that has been done in and through the people that he was close to, Timothy specifically. Um, so he writes this final exhortation to Timothy to urge him to stand firm in the faith and to ask him to come and visit him one last time uh, before he passes away. So this letter would have been written, obviously, after 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, Eusebius, uh, a a historian, claims that Paul was martyred sometime during Nero's reign, which ended in AD 68, Uh, but uh, it also began in 64. So since Paul wrote 2 Timothy shortly before his death, this book was probably written in the mid-60s, 64 to 65, although some people place it in the late, in, in 67. So just so you know, we're in the timeline of sort of like the early church and the persecutions. The, this is the last letter that Paul would have written. But though death is imminent and timing is uncertain, 
Paul asks Timothy to come to him to bring his books and his parchments with him so that he can continue to study and write um, until the end. So the general message here of 2 Timothy is, it can be broken into four parts. I think John Stott does a really good job of breaking this out, um, where he says that uh, the book of 2 Timothy uh, can be, really be broken up by four parts, kind of in the four, cha- four chapters. First, uh, Paul says that we should guard the gospel, guard the gospel. Secondly, we should suffer for the gospel. Thirdly, we should continue in the gospel. And then fourth, proclaiming the gospel. So as he talks to Timothy throughout the letter of 2 Timothy, um, he's really leaning into the gospel being the central thing, the central theme of Timothy's life and even in Paul's life. So he encourages him to guard it, to suffer for it, to continue in it, and to proclaim it. So when we see things through this lens, I know we do a great job of this here, but the gospel is not simply the door by which we enter into Christian life. Um, It's not simply the prayer that we pray and then we move on from it, but instead it's the doorway, it's the path, and it's actually the very air that we breathe um, on our journey uh, towards being made, everything being made new. Um, and so Paul actually describes salvation in three tenses. We, we see that in being him saying that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin and we will be saved from the presence of sin. So Paul does a great job, I think, in 2 Timothy really outlining those tenses of salvation and also the gospel itself. So, so it leads me to my three points. So it's a quick overview. I know I'm not like, going really, really deep on, the, on 2 Timothy, but that's just your overview there. Uh, the first thing that Paul does in verses 1 through 7 is he reminds Timothy of his faith. He's sort of giving these reminders to Timothy as he's going through this first section. So it's a lot of remembrance that Paul is doing. So the first thing that he does is he reminds Timothy of his faith. So we see that in verse, we'll just read three through seven again. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And then verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul begins this letter by encouraging Timothy and he's reminding Timothy um, of his sincere faith. So if we zoom out for a minute, just, let's just think about Timothy's role in this whole situation. Timothy was uh, one of Paul's closest friends. He was, this, he was a mentor, he was a mentee, I guess. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. And Timothy probably would have been feeling a lot of anxiety around his role moving forward. He knows Paul is going to move on. He knows Paul is not going to make it through. So So Timothy is really anxious. There's a lot of fear here. There's a lot of misunderstanding of even his role and how this is all going to play out. So when Paul is encouraging Timothy, he reminds him first and foremost, not of the skills that he has, not of the things that he has been equipped to do, but he first reminds him of his faith. And he reminds him of, of his sincere faith. And this sincere faith is made up of a couple things. One, a sincere faith is made up of um, God, of God's purpose and plan. So a sincere faith in, in, Paul's, in Paul's view as he gives it to Timothy is that this faith comes from God. And we can see that in Ephesians chapter two where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
So since Timothy's sincere faith is a faith that's given by God, and it's also a sincere faith that is more than just a mental assent. It's a belief that Christ himself is going to transform him at the end of time. And then Paul, Timothy's sincere faith as well is made up of works that follow after faith. So our works follow after our faith, and you see that in James chapter two, where it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not work, have works, is dead. So the this, this sincere faith that Timothy had was a faith that was given to him by God that Paul is reminding him of. It's a faith that has been, um, that is more than just a faith in something bigger than himself, but it's actually a faith that's transformed him. And then also it's a faith that's worked itself out in his daily life. The second thing Paul highlights about Timothy's faith is that it had his, its origin in his mother and in his grandmother. So he says it there, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So although Timothy's faith had its origin in God, although Timothy's sincere faith was a gift given to him by God Almighty, it was also, there was also another factor that was sort of played into this, this equation, and that factor was the role that his family and his upbringing um, actually had in his life. So Timothy was a product of a mixed marriage in Lystra, um, which was a, a, a town in the, in, in the sort of northern Middle East there. His father was Greek and his mother was a Jew, which would have made him an outsider according to Jewish tradition. But when Paul came to Lystra in Acts chapter 16, Timothy, his mother, and his grandmother all came to know the Lord in that time. So, But before that moment of them coming to know Jesus, we know that Timothy had been brought up to value the scriptures, to value the word of God. And he was taught by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois all of the Old Testament writings. So Timothy's faith certainly came from the preaching of the gospel by Paul to him and his family. But we cannot neglect the role that his grandmother and his mother had in the faith that Timothy had. And I think what's particularly important in, in viewing this uh, Timothy's faith in light of his family is that each and every one of us as parents, it, it really highlights the importance of us bringing up our children in the way of the Lord. I know that there's no guarantee, obviously, that if you, if you, you know, teach your kids the gospel as, the, as kids, they are the guaranteed Christians or whatever. But you can see here that the faith of his grandmother and the faith of his mother actually played a huge role in Timothy coming to faith as well. So in each and every one of our lives as parents and as grandparents, I think our role is to really lean into teaching our children what it means to follow Jesus, teaching our grandkids what it means to follow Jesus. Because I, I mean, I know personally, like I... I know that I have the faith that I have today, sure, because God gave it to me, but, be, but because my parents and my grandparents prayed over me, they taught me, they disciplined me, they raised me up in the ways of the Lord. So now I'm able to, as a 34-year-old man, be able to do the same thing for my kids. My parents didn't save me, my grandparents didn't save me, but what they did was they laid the groundwork for me to come to salvation through Christ. And I think for each and every one of us as parents, the work that we do in teaching our children and, and showing them what it looks like to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling 
it may not seem like it's working, because I'm sure there were many moments in my mom's life where she was like, man, this kid is a hellion. I don't know where he came from. She was praying over me all the time, and I just was not, it was, nothing was taking, you know. It was, just wasn't happening. But we have to know and understand that, like, the Lord is faithful to be able to, to work and to move in the lives of people that we pray for and that we engage with. And so now, like, I know for beyond a shadow of a doubt that the faith that I have is, is my faith because my parents instilled it in me. So, like, I have the same, like, now I have the same urgency and the same prayer life that my mom did over my kids because I want all four of my kids to come to know Jesus and to also be able to spend their lives with a sincere faith that was given to them by God for sure, but that I was able to help cultivate and to work in and to move in um, as well. So I think we can really learn a lesson here that when it says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go and in the end he should not depart from it, it's not a promise, it's a principle, and I think that that principle is something that we really can work on, um, probably as parents and as grandparents, where like our kids' faith is their, is their own faith, but I want to make sure that they know everything that they're walking into um, because I know that, it's gonna, that I'm sort of greasing the skids in order for them to be able to come to know Jesus. So we know that we can't pass our faith then through birth or through genetics and through baby baptism and all that type of stuff but we can pass our faith along by the way that we live, the way that we pray for our kids, the way that we train them up, and we ask the Lord to save them just as much as we would ask the Lord to save um, our friends and our coworkers and everyone else. So first, Paul talks through Timothy's faith. He reminds Timothy of the sincere faith that he has that's been given to him by God and that's been instilled in him by his family. And then secondly, Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame his gift. So first, we, Paul reminds Timothy of his sincere faith. Second, Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame his gift. We can see this in, in verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason, which when it says for this, for this reason, I mean, it's, that's kind of a therefore type of transitionary word, where it says for this reason, because you have a sincere faith, because it's been instilled in you, because you are a child of God, because your faith is something that is a deep part of who you are, Timothy. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul moves on from thanking God for Timothy's faith to remind him to fan into flame the gift that's been given. Now, there are a couple different takes on what this means. So you can read different commentators and they'll say different things around what the gift is that Paul is referring to. Like it could be the Holy Spirit that was given to Timothy. It could be the gift of faith that was given to him by God. It could be a very specific ordination or call, you know, that Paul had been get, that had given to him. Paul had given to him uh, through the laying on of his hands, and it could even just be like a set of spiritual gifts, you know, that God had decided to bestow upon Timothy specifically. So there's a there's a little bit of not disagreement, but there's a little bit of you know speculation around what that gift specifically is, but. Timothy, but the principle here remains the same. So the principle here is that whatever that gift is that he's talking to Timothy about, the, what Paul's reminding him is not of the gift, he's reminding him to fan into flame the gift. The principle here is that Timothy is to engage in actively fanning the flame of the gift of God that has been given to him. So obviously, like, 
Paul establishes first and foremost that this gift was not his own thing that he earned, it was a gift. He says this is a gift of God. Like God has given you a gift. But Paul also says that just because you've been given a gift doesn't mean that you just leave it on the shelf. Like Paul says to actively engage with and fan into flame this gift. And ultimately what fanning into flame means is that we is, is all of the things that we know that we can put ourselves that we can put around ourselves in order for us to come to know and to love and to care for Jesus more and more and more. So I think uh, I think Jonathan Edwards actually has a sermon on this. It's called Religious Affections or a book on this, where it says that you know you can place yourself around particular things that will that will stir up affection for God in you. And, and it will fan the flame of God that is inside of you. And some of those things are reading the Bible. Like, this is going to sound very elementary, but like fanning into the flame the gift of God that's inside of Timothy is, includes studying the scriptures. Like fanning the flame that's inside of Timothy and inside of each and every one of us is spending time in prayer. Fanning the flame of God that is inside of us is by spending time in solitude and in quiet and, and, and thinking and praying through psalms and through scriptures and for praying for those the lost. Like all of those things are activities that we can do to fan <clears throat> into flame the gift of God. But I think there's one, there's like a third one there that I think I have a tendency to miss. And it's the fact that in order for us to fan the flame of God in our lives, we have to do it together. Like the, the community aspect of the Christian life is, I think, really undervalued, in, especially in, in our day and age. You know, we think that, that our Christianity is a just between me and God and the people around me. I will see them on Sunday mornings, and I might see them around town, but I'm not, that's about as far as I'm going to go. But being able to fan into the flame the gift of God that is inside of us, it requires people around us to shape us, to form us, to challenge us, to discipline us, to, to allow us to actually grow in our faith. Because if we are just off on our own, that flame is not going to continue to grow. That flame is going to start to die. And D.L. Moody actually has a really interesting story about this particular thing. where So D.L. DL Moody, who was, he was a pastor teacher in Chicago years ago. And so he was having this argument with this other pastor who was saying, well, we don't really need to gather together. We don't really need Christian community. Like, you know, obviously this is a very individualized faith. Like it's just between me and God. We don't really need, I don't really need to spend a lot of time in a community group. I don't need to spend time in a Bible study. I don't need to spend time with people that love Jesus and care for Jesus as much as I do because God's got me. That was basically the argument. So they're, they're arguing back and forth. D.L. Moody's like, no, 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 you need to be in community. You need to be with people. You need to have an engaging time with the Lord and with others. So they're arguing about it, whatever. And so they're doing, they're walking and doing this and eventually they come to like this, they made a fire and they're continuing to talk because I don't know, that's just what they did. And so they make a fire. They're sitting by the campfire. They're continuing to talk. They're not getting anywhere. Like they're just not able to make a point. So D.L. Moody he, he quietly, like the fire's going, he takes, a, he takes one of the sticks that are in the fire, he grabs it, takes it out of the fire, and he sticks it next to the fire, and he just lets it sit there. And they just sit in quiet for a little while. And, the, and what, what ended up happening was the fire that was in the fire pit continued to rage and continued to burn and continued to go, while the stick that was on fire initially when he took it out, when it was laid on the ground, 
it eventually burned out and it, and it died. So what D.L. Moody couldn't communicate with words, he communicated through this picture of uh, the flame that each and every one of us have. It's very easy to think that we can keep that flame going on our own. But when we, are take the, when we take that flame and we bring it together with other flames, I know I'm like mixing metaphors here, so forgive me. But like you bring that flame into other flames, guess what happens? It, like, it grows. It, 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 they feed off of one another. Like fire only really works when there's like lots of pieces of wood or flammable materials, you know? Like it just, it's, it dies off on its own. So what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, and I think the encouragement for each and every one of us, myself included, which... You know, is this really, again, every sermon I preach is a sermon for me, and you guys just get to come along for the ride, is I need to spend more time developing tight relationships with people that know and love Jesus. And not only do I need to develop tight relationships with them in the sense that, like, oh, I'm friends with so-and-so and he's a Christian, I need to be vulnerable in those relationships, because really, in the, through the vulnerability in those relationships, that's where the growth happens, so it's not enough for me just to have a bunch of friends and we talk football and we talk a little bit about you know, our frustrating, frustrations with our kids or whatever. Like I need to go a layer deeper. I need to be able to say, hey, I have, a, I have a pornography problem. Hey, I have an anger problem with my kids. Hey, I really am just like, just ticked at my wife all the time. And I just don't wanna spend time with her because of X, Y, Z. Like there are things that are very vulnerable to us that we don't want to talk about because we feel the shame around them. Like, I'm a Christian, I should have it all together. But really through that vulnerability and through the wisdom and through the insight that can come from in Christian community, that's really where the, 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 the flame gets fanned. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just, it, it grows and it grows because of the engagement that we have with the people around us. So, he, so Paul reminds Timothy of a sincere faith, number one. Number two, Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that has been given to him. And then lastly, we can see that Paul reminds Timothy not to fear. Paul reminds Timothy not to fear. We can see that in verses six and seven. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift, excuse me, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So Paul goes on from being thankful. He moves on to being thankful for the sincere faith, the sincere faith of his parents, or of his mother and his grandmother. He reminds Timothy to fan it into flame the gift of God, and he reminds him, he reminds him that the spirit that has been given to him, the Holy Spirit that, has been, that indwells inside of him is not a, sphere, a spirit of, of fear. It's not a spirit of anxiety. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a spirit of, uh, of him not knowing what's gonna happen, so he, he devolves into destructive behaviors. Now, if you remember, like obviously Paul is in prison awaiting death, and Christianity as a whole, like just think of the context here. I guess I'll zoom out again. Nero is starting to oppress the church. So where the church was kind of being oppressed a little bit, you know, in the, in, in the, right after Christ had, passed, has, had died and then rose again, like there was some persecution that was happening, but the persecution is like really starting to ramp up. So Timothy is like in the middle of a church and the persecution is really starting to happen. His mentor and the one, his spiritual father is, is, a, is on death's door. Like 
Timothy also, as we can see even in 1 Timothy, like he was a timid person. He, he did not have a lot of self-confidence. He was, he was small in stature. He had stomach issues, as you can see in 1 Timothy as well. Like he was a really insecure and anxious type of person. So when Paul rolls in here and says, the Lord hasn't given you a spirit of fear, he's saying that specifically because the things around Timothy were scaring him. He wasn't saying ignore everything around you. He was acknowledging the fact that, that there are things to fear. But the spirit that we have given is not one that drives us to fear and anxiety, but the spirit that we have been given always brings us to power and love and self-control. So what Paul does, is he, as he always does, is he points people back to God. So in the midst of, of his fear, in the midst of Timothy's anxiety, in the midst of Timothy's frustration, Paul doesn't say, hey, you should just try harder or you should just do better, or it's not that bad, don't worry about it, like things will happen, things happen, God's got a plan, whatever. He's, he acknowledges his fear by saying, God has not given you a spirit of fear. God hasn't given you and equipped you with fear, but he's equipped you with power, he's equipped you with love, he's equipped you with self-control, and with a sound mind, as the King James says. The Holy Spirit that lived in Timothy and the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us who have, have trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit always empowers us to overcome fear. Always does. So what Timothy needed to overcome is fear is the power and the love and the self-control that the Holy Spirit brings. Timothy was empowered by the Holy Spirit to endure any suffering that came his way. And you, we'll see that as we roll through even the next handful of chapters. So the Holy Spirit enables Timothy to love the lost. He, he enables Timothy to have the power to be able to engage with those who are spreading the false gospel throughout the church. And he's even given him the self-control and the sound mind to be able to resist the temptations of sin, to resist the temptations of anxiety and fear, and to be able to trust in God fully. Now, I... I have a tendency to be like Timothy in, in the sense that I, I'll, I sometimes allow fear to be the driver sort of of my reactions, of my frustration, like of the way that I even go through the world. Like, and and uh, we've ta I think we talked about this a, a couple years ago with like the political stuff. Like I had to, to, I sometimes will allow political events in the world or in our country to drive, the, to drive me crazy. And I'm, and I'm scared and I'm fearful and I'm angry and it drives me into like being short with my kids and short with my wife or whatever. Like the Holy Spirit has not, is not in my life for me to live a fearful life. But the Holy Spirit has been given to me so that I can walk in the power of his spirit. So I can walk with love towards my enemies and towards those who persecute me. And the self-control of knowing and the self-control of being able to resist the temptation to be anxious and fearful and not trust God in the midst of my sadness and my tragedy. So we saw Timothy's sincere faith. We saw that Timothy was to fan into flame the gift of God. And we saw that, that Timothy was to not fear because of the Holy Spirit that was living inside of us. So as we close, we can see that Paul encouraged Timothy in his faith he fanned into flame the gifts that God has given to him and he, he, he told them to lean into the Holy Spirit rather than into fear. And many of us live consistently in fear today and we, need to, and we today need to hear that the Spirit of God has been given to us so that we can have power and love and self-control.
So as we take communion today, as we kind of move on into the next part of our worship service, I think it'd be important for us to think through just a handful of things as we reflect on Christ's death on the cross. Is one, um, is we should examine our faith. We should examine our faith to see if it is sincere. Is it a faith that is simply just, I agree with the concept of Christ dying for my sins? Or is it a faith that actually transforms me? I think there's some of us who are parents that maybe we feel the conviction that we're not really raising our kids to to love the Lord as as well as maybe we should. Or maybe we haven't even thought about the fact that our our, our kids are like little adults that are going through childhood and that that we need to be teaching them how to live an adult faith as a child. There's probably some of us, you know, in this room that that are have my problem and just want to be just an individual Christian and don't want to spend time fanning the flame of God in the context of Christian community. And I know for beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a lot of fear um, in this church and in each and every one of our lives. Fear about what's going to happen. Fear about what's going to happen in our country. Fear of what's going to happen with Chris. Fear of what's going to happen with this church. Fear about what's going to happen even with our kids. Like, there's a lot of fear. And it's very easy to fall into fear. But we can be encouraged today that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, not so that we can lean into our fear and be consumed by it, but rather that we can walk in power and we can walk in love and that we can walk in self-control with a sound mind. So as we process through even those things, let's take them to the Lord in, in repentance before we, we take the, the bread and the cup today. Because we know that, you know, in 1 Corinthians, when, he taught, when Paul t- teaches us about communion, he wants us to be coming to the table with a repentant heart and with a repentant mind. And I think that there are some things today that probably have been highlighted in our hearts, I know it's been highlighted in me, you know, that we need to repent of and that we need to move on from and that we need to, to lay at the foot of the cross. So let's pray and we're gonna take communion together. Lord, we thank you, God, for this time and your word. God, thank you that you have been near, near to us. God, that you have given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control and a sound mind. God, I pray that as we take communion today that you would elevate the things in our hearts that we need to repent of. God, that you would help us Uh, with our fears, you would help us with our parenting, you would help us with our faith. And God, I pray that you would be the thing that that drives us uh, consistently. God, bring people into our lives that help us fan the flame of God that has been planted and placed inside of each and every one of us. God, I pray that you would help us not to neglect the gathering of, of the saints together, even not just on Sundays, but even just outside of this place. But God, I pray that you would just give us the ability Uh, to fan that flame uh, in a way that's helpful, in a way that's meaningful, and in a way that ultimately honors you. Uh, We love you, God, and we thank you, and we praise you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.